This morning I, I, I was in my garage about ready to turn the key onto the car and I thought, you know, Sunday, it's that day I get to fight the devil and fight the Packers. <laughs> you know, people like to stay home when it's an early Packer game, but you'll be able to see it. Hey, listen, my wife wants to read a, a, a letter here to you. Pat, come on up here, please. While she's coming up here, let me ask you something. How many of you would be interested in learning how to administer the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How many would you? Okay, okay, good. We'll be having a class shortly. Uh, This is uh, from Josie and Tom, and it's a letter of thanks. And she starts it out to our church family. We just can't find the words to begin to thank everyone enough for the many blessings that we have received. The diapers, meals, prayers, calls, texts, letters, it's all been overwhelming. It's truly an amazing feeling to feel the love and support of a family through brothers and sisters in the Lord. I am so grateful that I was able to share our story of Levi, how we came to name Micah and our prophecy with all of you. It has made us feel closer with everyone on a spiritual and personal level. It has been even more of a blessing to share the joy, excitement, and humor in and during the pregnancy, bed rest, and delivery of the crew, a.k.a. Ethan, Evelyn, and Edna. They are all doing wonderfully. Doctors say they are the best case of triplets they could have hoped for. True to form, we tell them we don't hope. Their great physician is our Lord. We use any opening to share our testimony with everyone. During my two-week hospital bed rest, I was able to share my testimony with most of the nurses and was glad when one of the nurses came to me in tears asking for prayer. Well, Grace and Beth Messiah families, it has been quite a journey in the past two and one-half years. We look forward in sharing the lives of our children with you. Paul, and we know that you will all help in prayer and testimony in raising a child in the way he and she should go. Again, we love you all and can't wait to have our whole family worshiping together in our home church. Love, Tom, Josie, and family. Good. This will be in a card at the back also if you would like to read it. So who is this, Josie? That's that's my older daughter. So she's always been an overachiever, always, <laughs> always. Did you hear those prophetic words today? One was had to do with uh, come to God on a daily basis, and don't uh, be weighed down during the week. Don't wait. Take care of business with you and the Lord weekly. Also, another was keep moving forward and be productive. Be productive. Good words. I just came back from a conference in Nashua, New Hampshire. It's a conference I go to every year. It's probably one of my favorite conferences that I go to because the agenda is, for me, it's relationships. But we have some wonderful speakers, and our main speaker the last um, uh, four or five years has been R.T. Kendall. And R.T. has become a friend of mine. Uh, he's a very prolific writer. A lot of you have read his books. Um, 
But we, we had another speaker that was supposed to be there, and uh, he didn't show up. So, so Paul Burby, who, heads the, who leads us, he asked a couple of us, would you fill in? I tell you, it's good to be ready in season and out. Because he tells me, Frank, you've got this session, and I've got like three hours, you know, to even think about what to talk about in this particular session. Um, one of our speakers was from um, the Ukraine. His name is, and I've known this guy for years. In fact, he's invited me to come to his, his congregations. He's from, um, his name is Sergei Baluk. And Sergei is a, um, he's, he's an apostle, or some people would call him a bishop, a bishop. But he's got over 20 churches that are under him. And he's, he's in this part of the Ukraine that was overrun by the Russians. Okay? And he knew that the Russians were coming. So what he did, he got all the church people together, every, the leaders, even from different churches, and they prayed God's protection. They prayed. They fasted. They went to all the, all the roads that led into the city, and they prayed that, the, that the, the Russians would not come into their city. And he said, he said, we prayed. We did everything we could and he said the Russians still came in. And all, we all felt terrible, not only because of what happened, you know, politically in his city, but we prayed, where was God in this thing? And he didn't know what to say to the, the other church leaders. And then he, he got a revelation from the Holy Spirit, and he shared this revelation, and it ministered to me. And the revelation was this, that he got received. He said, you know, we don't see the big picture. What, he said, what we prayed was for a small picture in time. But the big picture, we don't see. And he talked about a few of the Bible uh, people that experience the same type of a thing. But, you know, it boils down to a Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So you just have to believe that even though things you pray about things and they don't seem to go right, there's a big picture. And this really spoke to me about the big picture. The big picture in your life. You pray for these small things every day, but you don't see the big picture. The big picture. And I've been, I've been serving God long enough to realize and to see more of the big picture. And I, 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 even in my life, and I see I'm able to connect the dots. And the older you are in the Lord, the more you are able to connect the dots. Where you say, well, this didn't happen the way I prayed it, and this didn't happen the way I prayed it. And you, and you begin to see the goodness of God and how he worked through all these circumstances that went the opposite way as you wanted them to go. So that was a real good lesson. It was a very good time. Amen. So I'm talking about values. I'm talking about values is the second part of a five-part series. And uh, when, I, when, I'm, when it's my turn to speak, um, this is what I'll be speaking on for the next um, few times. But when there's other speakers, they will not be speaking on this. This is my subject. They've got their subject, so they can speak it, okay? So on the way to church, <clears throat> on the way to church, Marty Spilchis said to his eight-year-old son, his eight-year-old son's name is Marvin, by the way. 
So, so he says, Marvin, who runs in church all the time, he says, why should we not run in church? Why should we be quiet when we go to church? And Marvin thought for, for a few moments and said, because I shouldn't wake people up. <laughs> you know, I don't think we've had a problem with people sleeping. But if you should doze off, do not snore. Amen. Do you remember we had, um, do you remember some of the old times, remember we had a real early service and there was a guy named Willie. Remember Willie? Some of us, uh, Jeff, some of us remember Willie. Willie used to work, I won't tell you his last name. He's, he's a really a good guy. I don't know if he's still, he's, he might be with the Lord now, I don't know. But Willie used to come from a midnight shift working and then, and then he'd come, to, he'd always he'd come to early service, and he'd sit there, and his eyes would shut. And you could hear him. <laughs> he would be snoring. And it got so, I'd just ignore him. But I noticed nobody liked to sit around him. <laughs> so he would come to church to take a, take a nap. So listen, don't, no na- if you're going to nap, no snoring. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this good time when I get to share the the good news with my friends. And Lord, um, keep everybody awake. Keep, them a, a, keep their attention focused. And we thank you for your presence here. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I'm speaking on values. Our values. What are values? Values are the beliefs of a person. Uh, uh, the beliefs of a person. They're the, of, or, or even a group. And as I have thy values, but as a group, as a local church, we have values. Values are what an individual or group are for or what they're against. Values are seen in what an individual or group is passionate about and reflects to others. Individuals and groups within the body of Christ share many of the same general values. And some of the values are faith, forgiveness, prayer, obedience, things like that. We share these values. We share like the Bible is the word of God. A value. Last week I talked about one of the many biblical values. Um, and uh, I talked about our, our value of body ministry. This is our value of body ministry. We do body ministry quite well. And I talked about what it meant. Body ministry is simply when the body ministers to the body. In other words, body ministry is simply when members of this congregation minister their spiritual gifts and natural abilities to others within, within the group or even outside the group. Why? Because God has given you spiritual gift or gifts and abilities, but they're not for you. They're for us and for other people. They're for the common good, the Bible says. So, you all have, spirit, you all have at least one spiritual gift. You say, well, I don't know my spiritual gift. Well, you better go seek God and find out what your spiritual gift is. Today we're going to look at another biblical value, and it's a value of this congregation, of Grace Christian Fellowship. This is a, val- a value that I hold in high regard. It's a value that comes, it comes from love. It re- stems from love. It's a value that's needed in all families. All families. Even in the family of God. It's a value that all believers have personally experienced. If you become a believer... A member of the body of Christ, this is something you've experienced. It's a value of, of Christ-likeness. It's a value that is extended to others 
when repentance is extended. I'm referring to the value of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness comes from a heart of love. A heart of love. Forgiveness is needed in all families. And that includes the church family. Let me tell you. Forgiveness must reign. If I have not... Listen. I know me. If I have not offended you yet, it'll happen. Hang around me. I have this gift. This is what I do. I am an offender in the, in, in the body of Christ. Ask any of my elders. I tell you, I've seen churches busted up over unforgiveness. All of a sudden, this sister's talking about this sister's pie. Oh, she gets offended. So now she don't sit next to me. Now they sit over there. Oh, my goodness. And then they start talking about the people over there. Before you know it, you got the Hatfield and McCoys. Okay, and you got a church split. All because of unforgiveness. All because it actually it was a nothing. But it caused, it causes a split. It caused people to leave. And they say, I feel called to leave. God's calling me to go. God's not calling you anyway. You just are lacking forgiveness. That's what's happening. You know, forgiveness is needed in all families. All believers have experienced forgiveness from God. In order to come into the kingdom of God, you have to experience this forgiveness. So we've all experienced forgiveness. Forgiveness is a characteristic of Christ-likeness. And forgiveness must not be withheld when someone asks for forgiveness. I know sometimes you would like to withhold it. Would you forgive me, please? I'm going to think about that. Make him gravel around a little bit, you know. You'd like to do that, you know. Or, or you don't even want to be around them because you know they're looking for you to ask for forgiveness, but you're not ready, you don't want to forgive them, so you stay clear. You know, you don't come to church for three, four weeks because you want to harbor this stuff within you, you know. kind of feels good, you know. But it, it, it feels good at the time, but it wrecks you is what it does. Now, without much comment, uh, we're going to look at some New Covenant scriptures about forgiveness. So let's look at these. In Matthew 6, verse 9, this, is, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, you're in trouble. Your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So, you you like to have your sins forgiven? Amen. Anybody who's sane would say yes. Well, listen, this is contingent upon you forgiving others. In Mark eleven twenty, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So, you sit there, you're in your prayer room, okay? And so and such has asked for forgiveness. And so, listen... If you didn't forgive them, you better forgive them on the spot. Otherwise, it's going to affect your communication with the Lord. 
Marty Spilkes told me about the, the pastor whose Sunday sermon was about forgiving your enemies. Toward the end of his sermon, the pastor asked his congregation, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? About half the congregation held up their hands. Half. He then repeated his question, how many of you have forgiven your enemies? It was now about lunchtime, and the Packers would be kicking off in about 30 minutes. So this time, about 80% held up their hands. He then repeated his question again. And everyone responded and raised their hand, except the small elderly lady in the congregation, Mrs. Smith. Pastor said, Mrs. Smith, said to Mrs. Smith, Sister Smith, are you not willing to forgive your enemies? Mrs. Smith smiled sweetly and said, Pastor, I don't believe I have any enemies. Sister Smith, that's very unusual. How old are you? How many candles have you in your last cake? She said, 93. 93 candles were on my last cake. Oh, Sister Smith, what a blessing and a lesson to all of us. Would you please come down in front of our congregation and tell us how a person can live 93 years and not have an enemy in the world? She comes down, takes the microphone. Sweet lady looks at the congregation and with a smile she said, I just outlived all those other old hags. In Luke 17, verse 3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. You just have to forgive. You may not want to, But you just forgive. You have to forgive them. See, you've got to forgive me. When I offend you and I and I come to you and I say, Would you forgive me? Please. You've got to for you've got to. Just like you gotta love me. You gotta forgive me. And I gotta do the same with you. This brings harmony in family. Families that don't have forgiveness, they uh, they're really crippled. They're fragmented. There has to be forgiveness. Because whether you know or not, moms and dads are not perfect. And, and sometimes, when the kids are older, they've got to ask for forgiveness. If you ask my kids, has your dad ever asked you to forgive him? Yeah. I had to. Really. I remember, I remember one time, I just reached back and started pounding on one of the kids. Because they're, they're all messing up. But the one, that was really, the, one, the, one, the one that was really doing it was the one that didn't get it. You know? I, I had to apologize. <laughs> my, my mother used to smack me on the butt. I said, "What's that for?" She'd say, "That's for what you did that I didn't catch you doing." <laughs> Jesus said, "Jesus said this parable in Matthew eighteen twenty three. He said, "Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants." As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The debt. It's amazing how when you get in the debt, the whole family suffers. You know what I mean? 
Verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. Sounds familiar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Paul wrote, Colossians 3.13, he said, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we see a pattern. God, God has forgiven us all the same way. We realize, we realize we have sinned. We ask for forgiveness. We repent. And God forgives us. If we don't ask for forgiveness, does he, does he forgive you? No, forgiveness is there to be had, but you connect to it through, your, through repentance. Now, last week we saw, we saw a testimony um, from one of the Robinson family. And uh, today we're going to hear two more from the Robins, Robertson family from Duck Dynasty. Okay, these guys are kind of interesting, and they've got good testimonies, so I, I included them on my messages here. They're from Duck Dynasty, and I want you to notice um, how the Robertson family dealt with the sin of these two members. Okay? How the family dealt with the sin of these two members. This is important. So, you're going to listen for how the family dealt with the sin of these two members. So, Jeff, let's uh, roll it. Well, we got uh, Al and Jeff here, the oldest and youngest in the Robertson clan. Uh, we say the most sophisticated uh, as well uh, from our other brothers. You know, we like to make that distinction. Uh, but we're also, uh, you know, I guess the most unique uh, out of our brothers because uh, we both have a little bit of a, a different story uh, in, uh, in our lives and how we grew up. Uh, when mom goes out on the road, she talks about uh, two of her sons being prodigals. And she always asks the audience, you know, which two do you think the prodigal sons are? 
And without question, they always say Willie and Jace, which I totally get that, you know, just from seeing how they are now. Uh, but actually, of course, she has the little hook because she says, uh, no, it's actually Jep and Alan, uh, the baby and the preacher is the way that uh, she uh, refers to us. So uh, we, we totally understand uh, forgiveness uh, because of what we live and uh, because of what it was extended to us. And so, uh, Jep, tell them a little bit about uh, your, uh, your forgiveness in your teen years. Um, well, basically, my story is um, I was a pretty good kid growing up. Um, never really got into much trouble. And uh, then, you know, along comes high school, and, you know, there's tempting things there. So I get into a little trouble, but not bad. Um, and I kind of had a girlfriend like the whole time I was junior high, high school, so that kept me out of some trouble. I turned 18, and some buddies of mine had grad- just graduated high school. And I got to hanging out with those guys. <clears throat> Come to find out, those guys had really gotten into some drugs, and I'd never seen drugs, didn't know anything about it. I experienced a little bit of drinking. And so I just totally went off the rails. I kind of had the attitude of, I'm going to try everything once, which is a terrible attitude to have. And I got um, really, really... Um, um, the word I'm looking for. I got really immersed. Immersed. Great word. <laughs> really immersed um, in sin and just drugs, alcohol. And I remember waking up one night and I had one foot in my truck. The rest of me was hanging out. Had no idea where I went that night. I hope I didn't hurt anybody. Um, but I knew then I was like, you know, I have a problem. I mean, I'm, you know, it, it sunk in. And what the way God works is um, Willie had left a note on my truck. Like two or three days later, I went to the movies. He said, I know what you've been up to. We need to talk. And I was like, oh, no. And my stomach, I just felt a pit in my stomach like, oh, no. And then a few days after that, I was going to work, and only me and Jace worked uh, for Mom and Dad back then. And I'm going down there, and all my brother's trucks there, Al's trucks there, Willie's, Jace, and I'm like, what are they doing here at 8 o'clock in the morning? I walk in, super pale. I weigh about 130 pounds, got big hoop earrings. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. but um, <laughs> And my, my dad's like, Jep, I'm looking around. I see all my brothers. He's like, we know what you've been up to. You got two choices, son. And he said that part, and I just fell on the, my knees, and I just started crying, and I said... What took y'all so long? And I really don't remember saying that, but, I mean, everybody agrees I said that. I was just so out of it, I guess. And uh, I guess I wanted everybody to know, my, my family, but I was ashamed and embarrassed. And I've never seen, like in the Robertson family, it's not really um, cool for the, the guys to cry. And uh, But all my brothers, my dad, we all just bawled cry, crying and just hugged on each other. And... Uh, Dad said, yep. He said, son, I'm going to put you on house arrest for about three months, and you're going to have to hunt every day. So I was like, well, if I'm going to get sober, this is a great way to do it. And uh, it was awesome because me and Dad, every day we would study the Bible. I just really wanted to know Christ and know what I've been missing out on. And, you know, I think up until that point, I'd lived on my dad's faith, and I wanted to have my own faith. And, uh, and, but it was just so awesome being forgiven 
from my family, and then putting Jesus on as my Lord, being forgiven for my sins. Um, that is what ultimate forgiveness means to me. So 17 years before uh, the day when I was there for Jeb, uh, this emotional moment uh, that I had, uh, God had really prepared me for that because I came home myself. Dad had had to have the hardest conversation that he had ever had probably with anybody up until that point when he sat down with me and he said, Al, um, we're aware of where your life is. It's not in a good place. Uh, I'd been caught several times drinking. Uh, I'd gotten in trouble with my girlfriend and her dad was upset. It was just creating a lot of family tension uh, because of my lifestyle. And so I was hiding in plain sight. You know, I was there at church. I was involved in the youth group. Uh, but I was darkened uh, and just not living for Christ at all. And so whenever uh, Dad came and talked to me, he said, you know, you can't stay here and impact your brothers uh, because, you know, I'm trying to raise them the right way. And so, uh, you know, I was 17 years old. I had just graduated high school, and I, was, uh, I thought I knew everything at that point. I thought my parents didn't know anything uh, like teens will do when they're in rebellion. And so, uh, you know, I left. And uh, so I, I decided I had to go sort of find myself and find my way. And so I went to the spiritual oasis uh, of New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, which, trust me, when you go to New Orleans to find yourself, you find trouble, uh, typically. Uh, and I did. And so my lifestyle continued to spin out of control and uh, got involved with a woman down there. Um, somehow she thought I was 21. Somehow I thought she was unmarried. I think both of us were living a lie. Uh, and, you know, one day her husband uh, basically tried to kill me, almost succeeded. And out of that brokenness and that moment sitting on a, a street in Kenner, Louisiana, bloodied, uh, I decided that, you know what, if I continue to live this way, I'm never going to see 19 years old. Uh, by then I turned 18. And I was just like that prodigal son in Luke 15. Uh, I was in my own pig pen. And it was a pig pen of my own making. Uh, I was in that distant land, and I, I wasn't squandering wealth, but I was squandering a life uh, that actually could have been doing something positive. And so I made a decision that day to go home. My fear was what would happen. Uh, Dad was, you know, scary, you know, because of the beard and the whole fierce uh, personality that he has. And I didn't. I, when I went home, I thought, I don't know that he's going to embrace me because of what I've done and where I've been. So I was very fearful about it. Uh, and so I came home. And, and, you know, we had been basically alienated for over a year. I talked to mom some, of course, because she was checking on me, making sure I was okay. But I had really not talked to dad during that whole period of time. And so when I walked up in the front yard uh, and he came out to meet me, I was expecting the worst. Uh, but what I got was just like the father in Luke 15. I got the best. Uh, I got the celebration, the, the hug, the uh, which we're not big huggers, you know, in the Robertson men. But I got a hug that day from Dad, and he told me he loved me, and he was so glad I was back. And I was expecting a long list of rules and, you know, all the things reminded that I had done wrong, and I didn't get any of that. Uh, I received unconditional forgiveness and a welcome home, and I'm so glad you're back. Um, we talked for a little while, and once I embraced Christ and knew that I was going to live for Him from that moment on, I was baptized right there in the river which is the same river we fish, the same river you see on our television show, the same river we, you know, I was able to do mom and dad's wedding uh, in, in front of, and, uh, and, it, it, and it prepared me. It prepared me for the rest of my life, a life of ministry. 
Uh, but it really prepared me for the day that I was there for Jeb, uh, along with my brothers, because I knew what it was like to be that guy that was so fearful and wondered how people were going to react to him, how people were going to respond to him, um, how people were going to uh, decide from this point forward how we were going to treat you. And uh, I knew because I had totally received forgiveness from my family, uh, from those that love me, and, of course, most importantly, from my Father in Heaven. And so I was able then to extend that to Jeb, uh, to others uh, who had been hurt, you know, and by their own sin or maybe by someone else's sin. And so, you know, in 22 years of being in ministry, people come into my office for all those times, and they never felt judged by me. And I think the reason why is because I get it. You know, when Jesus was talking to Peter in Matthew chapter 18, and Peter said, how many times do I forgive somebody? And Peter, you know, he was really going to throw it out there. And he said, you know, seven whole times, you know, I'm going to really do that. He said, no, no, Peter, it's way more than that. I mean, multiply that times 70 and you're just getting started on where I'm at. And, and I get that. I understand that. Because once you've embraced the forgiveness of Christ, it changes you. It's changed both of us. Uh, it's made us different. Uh, Jeff, how has it changed your relationship in terms of forgiveness for I don't know, your wife, family, other people? Um, what's cool for me is my beautiful wife of 12 years, 12 years, get that right. Um, we, um, I met her um, probably, I think, three years after my whole story. And uh, the time I was living with a guy and we were really um, out, for Christ, we were sharing Jesus with a lot of folks, and just really fired up and young, and um, it was a, one of the best times of my life. And um, so I get, go in to get my hair cut. I used to do that, and um, my wife, or my soon-to-be wife, she was uh, getting out of the chair, and I looked and I said, uh, I was just looking at her like, wow. And she goes, hey, and I was like, hey. <laughs> Sit down in the chair, and I asked uh, Connie Sue. I said, who's that girl? She said, her name's Jessica. Uh, she kind of had a, she's going through a lot of stuff right now. I was like, oh, go home, tell my buddy I'm living with. I'm like, I just saw the girl I'm going to marry. He was like, what's her name? I was like, Jessica. He said, what's she like? I was like, I, I really don't know. I, all we said was, hey. And uh, so I ended up meeting her at this little Christian concert. And um, I said, hey, you remember me? And she was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember you. And so we get to be kind of friends. And uh, and she was. She was going through a lot Um just had a lot of trouble. She had just really bad past, and uh, I'm just really fighting it. Um, was not a Christian, and uh, so I said, "Look, I don't want to be weird, but if you want to come to me and my buddy's house, we could share something with you, something you know that could change your life." And she was like, "Okay, you don't seem that weird." And I was like, "Cool." So we go to me and Trey's house, and we just share the story of Jesus with her, and she was just like. Oh my goodness, what have I missed? What have I been missing? She was like, Yes, I want Jesus to be my Lord. And um, it was the most awesome thing ever. And then I thought, Okay, I think I for sure I'm going to marry this girl now. Um, so we still were friends for a little while longer. And um, just one day, I was just like, I think you're the one. She was like, I've been knowing you're the one. So uh, we got married, and it was so awesome because I remember. When she became a Christian, her saying, I just never thought I could truly feel forgiveness. And it was cool. I was just like, oh, I know exactly what that's like. And uh, so we had some similar backgrounds. And so I just think, you know, God put her in my life. It was just no doubt about it. 
it was me and her were meant to be together uh, because of our stories, and I think through Jesus, um, that's how we truly came together, and through forgiveness. Um, so it's awesome. And that's really what forgiveness is. That's what God does for me. God says, I will remember your sins no more. That means he's not going to use my past to hurt me. And so many times that's why it's difficult to get past when someone hurts us because we can't extend that forgiveness that God extends to us. So when I think about the lesson of forgiveness and when I think about what it means to try to practice that, I think about trying to live it as God extended it to me. And I think that's the most challenging thing. When you think about your own life and your ability to forgive others, you think about what God has done for you. He's offered you the blessing of grace, the ability to never remember your sins, and to never use your past to hurt you. If I could live like that, I could change the world. What about you, Jeff? I'm in, brother. Those are good testimonies, huh? Okay, a little interactive time now. So how did the Robinson family deal with Jeff's sin? Huh? They were together as a family, and they confronted him. I know love covers a multitude of sin, okay? But this is something a little bit different. They got together, and they said, we love you. You cannot continue this way. You cannot continue this way. So families, you can't let this stuff go on. This is a good example. When you know this garbage is going on as a family... It may even take some aunts and uncles and cousins. Whatever it takes, the family gets together and says, listen, we know what you're into. You need to stop this. You can't make it comfortable for the guy, you know, or the gal. So how did Phil deal with Alan's sin? Now, well, Alan was given a choice. The question is, do you think it's right to ask someone who is of the age that they just finished high school, to stay away from the family as long as they choose to cling to sin. You know, you're raising a family, and the older one is going bonkers on you, being an example. You know, um, Alan's dad never kicked him out of the house. He just said, son, I love you, and you have a choice. You have a choice. But Alan took the choice to continue in his sin. So he went off to the big city. He found even more stuff to wallow in. And, uh, but he, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. I think it's Dr. Dobson calls that tough love. Is that what he yeah. calls it? Yeah. Tough love. Now, on a scale to 1 to 10, put my scale up there, Jeff. Here's what I want to leave you with. Scale to 1 to 10. 1 is low, 10 is high. When someone asks you for forgiveness, okay, so you, someone says, forgive me, how important is it for you to extend forgiveness, whether you want to or not? From a 1 to 10. How many would say 10? How many would say another number? Good. It's a 10. You have to. You have to. You say, well, I don't want to. Doesn't make a difference. You do it. You do it. 
And you can do it because of the, because of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And the first fruit is love. In the natural, you'd want to do, do, um, do the mud back. But because of Christ in your life and the fruit of the Spirit, you know, you can forgive them. Because the first fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. So this forgiveness can come from a heart of love. Not from your heart, but from Christ within you. You're, gonna, you're, you're going to forgive them. Okay? And you'll feel so much better forgiving them. You know, I don't think I harbor anything against anybody. I, I really thought about this. I really don't think I harbor anything against anybody. I've had people do me mud. Um, you'll do me wrong. And uh, they've not repented. But, but I don't hate them. I don't hate them. What I do is I just say, I give it to God. And say, God, so and such did me bad. They said this, it's not true, or they did this to me, it's not right. I, I confronted them. They told me, go away. They don't, want, they don't want to mess with it. I said, you know, I, I don't want to hate them, but you know what, I give this to you. You take care of this. And God will take care of it. And I don't have to have this festering. I, don't have, I won't have a bitterness. I, you, you won't be bitter in your heart if you take your problems to God. Give it to God. Let your big brother, Jesus, know that so and such. See what I'm saying? You don't have to harbor this stuff. Forgiveness has to reign in the family. In your family. Forgiveness has to. As people make up. I'm telling you, I know for a fact, husbands do stuff that they have to ask for forgiveness to their wives. Is that right, wives? Yes. Come on, is that right? Okay, so when he asks for forgiveness, forgive him, please. Now, wives don't so much, but they do too. Every so often they do things, they wake up on the wrong side of the bed... They get crabby and say stuff that they wish they could. But when they say, forgive me, you forgive them. You know what I'm saying? Has to be. Kids. Teenagers. If you're smart. If you're smart. If you're smart. You'll learn about repentance. So you can receive forgiveness from mom and dad if you're smart. In the local church at Grace Christian Fellowship here, there must be forgiveness. Because I know what goes on. This couple gets mad at that couple. This couple said this about this. And you know what? If they did you mud, confront them. With love and say, you know what? I heard that you did so and so and such. And give them a chance to repent. To say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I did that to you. You know, uh, Mark and I had Mark and I had an incident. I was just thinking, Mark, we had an incident. What about a month ago? About a month ago, Mark comes in my office. I'm not going to tell you what happened. <laughs> it's none of your business. But Mark came in and. Uh, he said, Frank, in a basic way, he said, Frank, I need to talk to you about something. 
And he confronted me about something. And I thought, oh my, I didn't realize I did what I did. And I begged for forgiveness. And he forgave me. It's done. It's done. And the relationship stays the same. It actually grows. It grows. And so this is you have to have this in, in a church. You have to have it in a church. A spiritual family. We're all so different. We're not all Packer fans. There's actually a couple Bear fans amongst us. Okay? You know, we, we think differently. In a, in a local congregation, believe it or not, you have, you have Democrats, you have Republicans, you have this, you have that, you got, you got a socialist here and there. You know, listen, listen, you got to love each other. Let nothing separate us from the love of God and from the love one for another. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Love has to abound here at Grace Christian Fellowship. Say, Frank, is there a problem right now? No, there's not a problem. And I don't want there to be a problem. So let love abound. Let love abound. Let love abound. Let love abound. Right, if it doesn't come from you, who's it going to come from? 